I am excited to share with you this morning the top three promises that Jesus gave us. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of promises in Scripture. But if we narrow down all the great promises in Scripture to those that directly came from Jesus, we could look at some amazing things that He told us that we could expect from Him and we could expect from our future. But then we could even narrow those down, and I think that we could signify the top three promises that Jesus gave us. And I want to share those with you this morning. In order to do that, we're going to look at John. We're going to look at, uh, uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit in two or three chapters. John chapter 13 through chapter 17 is all one conversation. Anytime you hear an, a, a Bible verse, an address of John 13, anywhere through 17, you know that that is what we call the upper room discourse. It's, it's where Jesus spent that last night with his disciples. And it was in that experience, in that last night together, that Jesus wanted to instill in his disciples the most important things that they needed to know before he left them. John 13, let's start in John 13 and verse 1, because I, I, this verse sets the stage for the whole evening and thereby sets the stage for this discussion that we're looking at this morning. In John chapter 13, at verse 1, it, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, there's some important things for us to notice in that little verse. This was before the feast of the Passover. That's the reason they had gathered in the upper room to share the Passover meal together. And it also says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. It's important that we know that Jesus understood exactly what was about to happen. Elsewhere in John, John makes clear that Jesus laid down his life. No man took it from him, but he laid it down, it says. John repeated that twice. So it's important for us to know that Jesus was not surprised by his arrest. He was not surprised by his crucifixion. He knew what was about to happen. And that's why this conversation on this night was so important. He knew that it was the last time he would be able to talk to his disciples. It says that he knew that the time of his departure was at hand. There are three or four different verses throughout the Gospels in which Jesus mentioned his time, and he said that his time had not yet come. Now, in this verse, it says he knew his time had come. And so it was important to him that he have this last final conversation with his disciples. So they are gathered at the Feast of Passover. Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Now notice he understands what's about to happen. When he dies, he leaves this world. But when he leaves this world, that simply means he's returning to the right hand of the Father. He understood every bit of that. And that's why he can tell them later on, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Because he knew where he was going. And he knew what that was going to look like. And then the last part of that verse reminds us that he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And that was at the very heart of this conversation. 
everything that took place that night in the upper room, John 13 through John 17, everything that he said and did that night was based on his great love for them. And it's important that we remember these promises come from a place of love. Imagine what's happening in the minds of the disciples on that night. God is going to launch a worldwide movement on the backs of these 11 guys who were usually thin-skinned and thick-headed. They were usually slow to believe and quick to forget. Now Jesus is going to leave them. How must that have affected them? How did they hear that news that he was going to leave them? Immediately they start thinking, well, what's the plan? Uh, Who's going to be in charge? Uh, What do we do next? What is the exit strategy? They had great security so far in having Jesus with them in the flesh every day. He was right there with them each step along the way. And that brought them security. But now they're going to be left. He's going to leave them behind. And he assures them that they will be left behind. But they will not be left alone. And that is important for them on that night, and it is important for us today to understand that Jesus did have a plan, and the same plan that helped them face uncertain times can help you face uncertain times as well. In these final hours before crucifixion, he made them at least three promises that changed their lives, changed their view, and can change us as well. I want to share them with you. First, he promised them a future. He promises us a future. In our, uh, in our passage here of the Upper Room Discourse, we turn to chapter 14, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, he's already told them that he's going to have a place prepared for them. Would he have said that if it were not so? This is a confirmation. Guys, I've told you before and I'm telling you again, I'm leaving, but why am I leaving? I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. By the way, that last phrase is what makes it heaven, not the place. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place, and that's great. It'll be there, but I'm going to come and take you there with me so that you can be with me. And it is his presence that makes heaven heaven. That is the promise. We have a promise of a future. He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to take you home with me. I'm so grateful that this world is not all there is. Aren't you? That this world is not all there is. This world has constant reminders that we're not home yet. Everywhere we look, there's a reminder of the fallen nature of humanity and the fallen nature of all of nature itself. Nothing is right. Nature is messed up. Everything is fallen. Human relationships are messed up. 
It's strange, isn't it? Crazy how we keep finding new ways to separate ourselves. We keep finding new ways to, to be ugly to each other, to treat each other badly. We keep finding new ways as nations to hate nations and to, to go to war, and we find ways neighbor to neighbor. It's crazy how easy it is for us just to get mad at each other and hold grudges, and instead of talking to each other, we talk about each other all over town. That's all a part of the fallen human nature. We make life worse than it has to be. And isn't it good to know that this is not all there is? All of those things that I just mentioned, in addition to a long list which includes bananas, are constant reminders that we're not home yet. This is a messed up world. But the promise is you have a future. If you have trusted in Christ and are one of his disciples, this conversation is open to you as well. He says to you, I'm going to come back someday and I'm going to take you to a place prepared for you where you and I can be together forever. See, he did have a plan that same plan that helped them face uncertain times can help you face uncertain times as well. For us, homeland security means that we are secure in the fact that we will one day reach our homeland. First Peter says it this way, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Talks about what he did, and then it says how we can have a part of it. By his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, and now by, by experiencing that, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, and now we have an inheritance that cannot pass away, cannot go away or be taken away, and that inheritance is kept for us in our homeland, in the place prepared for us, where we get to be with him forever. You see, heaven is not a state of mind. It is a real place where real followers of a real Jesus have real life for all eternity. This is a promise from the Lord himself that someday he'll come back and we get to be reunited with him. We have a future. But not only do we have a future, the second promise that he makes in this great discussion, this great conversation, is that we have a friend. He promises us a future and he promises us a friend. We were in chapter 14, so let's stay there and move forward now to verse 16. Chapter 14 at verse 16, he promises that we'll have a friend. Look, he says in 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
What an amazing promise. He says, I am coming back, but in the meantime, I'm going to leave a friend for you. He says, I'm going to give you another helper. The word there is advocate. It's a word that means to come alongside. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper to come alongside you. Even that word another is interesting because there are two Greek words for another. There is this word, alos, which means another of the same kind. It's like you open a package of Oreos and there's one and then there's another Oreo. It's of the same kind. The other Greek word is heteros, which means another of a different kind. I've got an Oreo, but you've got a Chips Ahoy. It's another cookie, but it's of a different kind. This word is the word that means the same kind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have been with you. I have walked with you. I have been your advocate. I have come alongside you. And even though I'm going to leave, I'm going to give you another friend like me who will come alongside you, walk beside you, be your advocate, who will guide you along your path. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. Look at, look at that, what he says there toward the end. He says, the world doesn't understand the Holy Spirit, but toward the end of verse 17, you know him, for he dwells with you. That's present tense. He is currently dwelling with you, disciples. Now, they understood that concept. That was not new to Jews. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in the Old Testament as well. But he's always spoken of coming and being with someone and then going somewhere else. The Holy Spirit is external in the, Holy, in, in the Old Testament. He is with the people of God. And so Jesus says to these Jews who understand the idea of the Holy Spirit's presence, he says, he is with you, but then did you notice what he said? And will be in you, future tense. Something's going to change. The way the Holy Spirit interacts with God's people is going to change. And now instead of working on the outside in, the Holy Spirit is actually going to start working from the inside out of believers. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit filled the church. And from that moment on, every time someone accepts Christ and becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit fills that believer and empowers him and is his advocate, his friend throughout the rest of his earthly journey. The promise is not only of a future, but he promises a friend. And notice that he's never going to leave us. He is the kind of friend who never leaves us. He will be with you. As soon as you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered. And that is now his home. Romans chapter 8 says it this way. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. It's not two separate events. You don't become a Christian and then hope maybe one of these days you'll get the Holy Spirit too. If you're a Christian, 
The Holy Spirit dwells in you, and He is your advocate, your friend. He is here living life alongside with you, guiding you every step along the way. Further in this conversation that He had with the disciples that night in chapter 16 at verse 7, He makes an interesting statement. In chapter 16 at verse 7, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now imagine how that hurt, how, they, how that struck them when they heard that. What do you mean it's to our advantage that you go away? Lord, we gave up everything for you. We dropped our nets. We walked away from mom and dad. We gave up our old lives. We have almost nothing now because we've been following you, Jesus. And now you say it's to our advantage that you leave us? And then he concluded his statement. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The promise Jesus says, I'm going to go back to the Father. But that's a good thing, guys, because when I go back, that means that I get to send the friend, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit of God who will indwell you and be with you forever. What's, these are some great promises that he makes to his disciples. He says that we have a future. He says that we have a friend. And he says... I'm going to give you a family. What an awesome promise. I'm going to give you a family. We look in, at his continued conversation in chapter 15. In chapter 15 at verse 12. He speaks to the disciples, to those who follow him, to those who are trying to be like him. And he says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He is just about to launch into a discussion about the, how the world is not going to understand them. The world is going to mistreat them. But just before he starts that conversation about how difficult it's going to be when the world mistreats them, before he starts that, he says, but guys... Love each other. Love each other with the kind of love that I've loved you. You're going to need that. So he repeats this command twice in a short time. We just saw it in verse 12. You see it again in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In short time, five verses, he says it twice. Love one another. Every time I ask a question in children's message, I do so with fear and trepidation. <laughs> you never know what they're going to say. But did you hear it this morning? What is family? And what was the first answer? Little dude right here, what was the first answer? Guys, that was the plan. I know families are dysfunctional. I understand that. But the plan is that God gives to us people to love us. 
Family is a picture of the kind of love that God wants to demonstrate for us. That picture is messed up because we live in a fallen world. So everything's messed up. But it's a picture of the love that God the Father wants to give to His children. He gives us family to take care of one another, to love one another. And so He says to these guys, who by the way left their biological families, many of them, He says to them, now you guys love each other. You guys are going to be family. Later he says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. The way we demonstrate that we belong to Jesus is we love the way he loved we take on the family resemblance. Until I got too fat, I had a cleft in my chin. That little cleft right there was one of the few things that I could look at my daddy's picture and say, that proves I'm his. We had a family resemblance. And Jesus says... Disciples love one another because that's how the world's going to know your mind because I'm here because of love. And you start loving each other and they're going to catch on that you belong to me. He built a family. Later on, outside the Gospels, in the, in the letters in the New Testament, we understand this more deeply as Paul explains to us that when a, when a person becomes a believer, they are adopted into God's family. You know, we say all the time that we're all children of God. It's really not true that everybody's a child of God. Everyone is created by God. And in that way, and that's the way we usually use that term, that way it is true. God created everyone equally, absolutely. But in the New Testament we find out that you're not automatically a child of God. You have to be adopted into his family to become a child of God. And that happens when we trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit fills us, he gives us the power to say Abba, which is Daddy. When the Holy Spirit fills us, now we have the power to be adopted as a child of God and call Him Dad. You see, Jesus promises, if you're a believer, you have a future. If you're a believer, you have a friend. And if you're a believer, you have a family. We've been adopted into a family and we've been instructed to love one another. You need close relationships with Christian brothers and sisters. Can you be a Christian and never go to church? Absolutely, but why would you want to? God calls us to family. He calls us to love one another. He created us to need each other. You need Christian brothers and sisters to be family and to love you. Golden Gate Bridge, 1.7 miles long. Over a mile and a half long, this one bridge. 220 feet from the water. 
People died in the 30s while they were building this thing. Then eventually they put a net underneath the construction. This long net that ran under the bridge while they're building it. And that net caught 19 people during the construction time. 19 people would have fallen to their deaths had they not had the safety net. If nothing else, you need Christian relationships as a safety net. Because when your life falls apart, and it will someday, something's going to happen, you'll get that terrible phone call. When life falls apart, it's too late to build a net. You need to have that relationship, that, that family relationship already established. Brothers and sisters in Christ who know you and love you and you love them and you're caring for each other. And then when life falls apart, you fall. You got family. Jesus promised us a future, a friend, and a family. So what should be our response to those kind of promises? Well, he told us in this conversation, and I already read it, our response to these promises, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because when we trust him, we get to receive the promises.